Last week, we will uh, be looking at two chapters, Exodus 28 and 29. Um, it is uh, our practice. We won't read all two chapters, um, but it is our practice when we read God's word together to stand. Uh, and since I'm reading, I think, short enough, uh, if you're able, would you please stand uh, as we give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. Uh, Exodus 28, uh, beginning in verse 1. I'll read 1 through 5 of 28 and then the first 9 verses of 29. I then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have given with a, whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they may uh, make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive Gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. And now the first nine verses of chapter 29. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd, two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened, unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them a fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall make the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, uh, that you would teach us. Uh, use this your word to accomplish its purposes, even as we uh, just saying a few minutes ago, we pray that all that we hear may be fruitful unto life in us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I know it's probably a little bit redundant to mention uh, one of the more memorable scenes in The Princess Bride. Um, one of the more iconic scenes in The Prince. Like, The Princess Bride really is just a collection of iconic scenes linked together, and then they called it a movie. But there's a scene in The Princess Bride where um, uh, Vecini is the, is the brains behind this group of three people trying to start a war. And he has, they've, they've kidnapped the princess. He has the princess at knife point, and the man, at black show, man in black shows up. And they go back and forth until finally the man in black says, 
Well, if, there cannot, if we cannot make an arrangement, if we cannot reach an arrangement, then we are at an impasse. Let me remind you of what some of the things we've been saying throughout the book of Exodus. Because we've seen, we've mentioned several times that, that throughout this sermon series, God has given us two reasons over and over again why he delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt. One of those reasons is so that they, and the they could be any number of people. It could be Israel. It could be Pharaoh, it could be the Egyptians, it could be the nations around them. The they takes on several different groups of people. But so that they would know that he is Yahweh, that he is the Lord their God. This, by the way, is you get the evidence of this in Joshua when Rahab says, we know. We know about your God. How does she, well, that, because exactly what God has said has been sort of, made true in her life. The second reason he brings them out of Israel, out of bondage in Egypt, is so that he might dwell with them and they with him. It's so that they can can be together, can dwell together. That ought to raise a concern in your memory, especially if you were paying attention last Sunday to the construction of the tabernacle to the requirements for building the tent because if you notice the tabernacle where God dwells with his people is behind a bunch of thick curtains and and it's four or five layers of curtains if i remember right and and some of them have cherubim woven into them and the holy of holies is a, in a room is a room that only one person will ever see and only once a year And there was a lot about the the building of the tabernacle that actually said, yes, I'm dwelling among you, but I'm not really, you can't come in here. God's dwelling is above the, the mercy seat, which is really the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, right? Between the cherubim. The Ark of the Covenant is his footstool. And in that Ark, in that box is the law that says, Israel, you're guilty. That's where God dwells and yet it's in a room that the Israelites can't even enter. Do do you do you hear the impasse? If we cannot reach an arrangement, if we if we can't make an arrangement, if there can be no arrangement, then we are at an impasse. God is is saying I'm, I've delivered you so that we can dwell together except here's the problem. I'm holy and you're not. I dwell in this little small piece of holy earth, you are outside the tabernacle courtyard. I'm in this room that only one of you will ever come into, and even then, only once. You see, the the problem in The Princess Bride was that Vicini knew he couldn't beat the man in black physically. They couldn't wrestle, arm wrestle, fight, sword fight, whatever, that, that Vassini was going to lose. Because, but he was also convinced that the man in black was no match for him mentally. Thus the impasse. The impasse here is that God has said he would deliver his people so that they could dwell together. And then he's built a tabernacle that says, you can't come in here. The cherubim in the Holy of Holies, in the most holy place, give the image of 
the heavenly throne room where every time we ever see God in Job, in Isaiah, in other places, every time you see God seated on the throne, there are angels around him. It also reminds us of Genesis 3 and the cherubim that stood guard between Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. Once they were removed from the Garden of Eden, the cherubim were standing there to say, you can't come back in. This place is holy. You are not. You can't come in. If there can be no arrangement, we are at an impasse. Enter the priest. This is why we have the office of the priest. This is the arrangement to solve the impasse. First of all, let me point you quickly. This, this, uh, my, my preaching professor would fail me. He, his rule was you never give your shortest point first. You set the people's expect, expectations up for short. And, and here I am. Sorry, Dr. Kick. But I, I feel obligated to make this sort of one observation, if you would. My guess is that some of you would read through these chapters. You're doing your read through the Bible in a year thing. You've made it to Exodus 28. That would be impressive enough. But, but you'd get bogged down in some of the... De- I didn't even read. I didn't even read the details, right? The 12 stones in the breast piece and the two stones and the connecting the gold rings and the two parts of the this thing and you've got to wrap this around him and the, the turban with the band that says holy to... The-. We, didn't even, we didn't even read all of it. All the layers of clothing that, he, that Aaron and the priests have... To read, and my guess is some of you are tempted to just turn the page and keep going. But but there's something to this passage that there's an implied takeaway, if you will. And that is that all of this, that the office of the priest, the function of the priest, all of this is according to God's command. Even the the volume and the detail, two chapters on the tabernacle and the courtyard, two tabernacles on the priest, one chapter on on the priest's garments, and then one chapter on consecrating, ordaining the priest to office. All of that says, you know what? God is speaking to his people, and this is God's command to us. In fact, look at verse 35 of chapter 29. Notice what God says to Moses, thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. You know, so far in all of the instructions from Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments to now, we have yet to find the sentence come out of God's mouth that says, you know what, with that you can do what you want. Everything is, this is how you will do it. This is what you will make. This is who can serve as priest. Everything is according to God's design. The office of the priest is God's idea. It's his creation and it must be done according to his commands. This has implications for us. right? The, the reason, well, there are multiple reasons why we don't have dances in worship. Um, but one of the reasons we don't have dance in worship is because God commands us to preach. He commands us to, to read the Bible and pray the Bible and sing the Bible and see the Bible and taste the Bible, preach the Bible, hear the Bible. He doesn't tell us to dance. There's, there's, no, there's never ever a model of dance or plays or skits in 
worship. God regulates our worship by his word. For that matter, he even regulates who may do what in worship because this is for Aaron and his sons and only for Aaron and his sons. So first, the, the, the plan for the priesthood. Second, I want you to see the people of the priesthood. You notice in verse 1 of 28, Moses is told, get Aaron, your brother, and get Aaron's sons. And they are going to serve as priests for you before me. And see it again in verse 41 of, of chapter 28. It's, um, it's not just a one-time deal. You shall put them on Aaron, uh, your brother, and on his sons, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. In fact, um, and even in verse 1 of chapter 29, this is what you shall do to consecrate them. Notice, first of all, that the people that are going to serve as priests are actually set apart from the rest of Israel. Everywhere you look, everything about these two chapters says they are they're set apart. They're pulled out from even verse one of 28 kind of has that sound to it. Right. Call them out from among the people of Israel and they and their descendants will serve as priests. In other words, and then the close sort of emphasize all of that. Here's all the detail that the things that they're supposed to wear when they serve me as priests and nobody else has these clothes. Nobody else has these robes. Nobody else is wearing a, a breast piece with 12 stones in it. Nobody else is wearing an ephod with stones on the shoulders. Nobody else is wearing all the things, the turban with the band on it that says holy to the Lord. Nobody else has this. You know, Aaron gets up in the morning and hops on public transportation to get to work. He's going to stand out. It's going to be obvious to everyone else on that bus, on that subway, this guy is different from all the rest of us. And that's part of the point of these two chapters is to say that they are set apart. They're different. They're consecrated. In fact, as you read through these two chapters, you're going to bump into words. I've been emailing my Old Testament professor the last couple of days. And I, I should have done it months ago. But you bump into words. Words like holy. Nine times in chapter 28. Twelve times in chapter 29. Sometimes it's the holy place or holy items. But, but it all is some form of the Hebrew word kadosh, which means holy. Sometimes you read consecrated or set apart. And it's still the same Hebrew word. And it frustrates me that, that you get three or four different English words and you miss the point that every Hebrew reader would get. That this is one word describing all of these things. That they're that set apart. They're holified. They're sanctified. They're consecrated. They're set apart for the office of the priesthood. It's not just Aaron. It's Aaron and his sons. And so there's a a succession plan for the priesthood. They, it's going to be in Aaron's family. There are qualifications for being a priest in the Old Testament. There, there are qualifications for, for ministers in the New Testament. And, and our goal, our desire would be that we not ordain people to 
to gospel ministry who don't meet the qualifications in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 and other places. Well, the same is true here, except it's, it's hereditary. It's genealogical. If you're a descendant of Aaron, you're in line for the priesthood. Now, there are other Levites, right? The tribe of Levi is bigger than that. And they have, they have temple service, tabernacle service too. They're going to be carrying the ark. They're going to be carrying these, the tent and the, the courtyard walls and all of those sorts of things. But to serve as priests, to actually go into the tabernacle... The requirement is that you be a descendant of, of Aaron. And in fact, look at verse 9 of chapter 29. This isn't a one-time deal. This isn't even a short-term deal. But in, in uh, 29.9, the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. The design is that the office of the priesthood never actually leaves this family. And so we see the plan for the priesthood given, ordained, commanded by God. We see the people for the priesthood and how they're set apart from the rest of the people of Israel for this particular function, this particular service within the body. Third, I want you to see the process for consecrating the priesthood. This is this is chapter 29. Uh, chapter 28 Hear the clothes you're going to make for them. And God regulates everything from outerwear to underwear for the priest. And in 29, you get the um, instructions for actually setting them apart, for consecrating them to be priests. There really are sort of four steps in verse 4. 29 verse 4, they're washed with water. They, verse 5, receive robes or given robes to wear. Their clothes are kind of put on them. In verse 7, they're anointed with oil and this oil is poured on their heads as they're anointing. And then verse 10 onward, there's sacrifice, bulls and rams and fat and blood and sprinkling of that blood on the priest himself. And on his ear and his thumb and his big toe and a lot of bloodshed just to set these priests apart for this office. Do you notice? Do you notice what that says about the priest himself? Why would a priest need to be washed unless he's dirty himself? Why do we need to sacrifice animals for the priest if his job is going to be to sacrifice animals for the people except that he's just as sinful as they are? In other words, there's nothing about Aaron and his family that says, now these are the people, right? These people, because they're better than everybody else, because they don't sin like the rest of the plebes of society, because they're so much better than all the rest of you, we're going to make them priests. No, they... They too need washing. They too need atoning blood sacrifice for their sin. They need a sacrifice to, to pay the debt that their sin deserves. The priests deserve the wrath and curse of God, children's catechism question, right? What does every sin deserve? The wrath and curse of God. The priests need that just like the rest of the people. 
And so chapter 29 walks us through the the consecrating, the ordaining, the setting apart, the process for setting apart these priests in order to serve as priests before God. The plan for the priesthood, the people of the priesthood, the process for consecrating. Finally, I want you to see the purpose of the priesthood. It would be easy, I think, to read through Uh, I guess I mentioned one danger. One danger is to skip too quickly through this passage as though this is a detail that doesn't matter. The other would be to get so bogged down in the details that you miss the point, that you kind of miss the bigger picture. We could spend all kinds of time talking about the 12 stones in the breast piece and what they were and, and that some of them actually show up in the Garden of Eden and some don't. And you wonder what that has to do with anything. We could, we could get bogged down even in the, the parallel and Verse 1 of chapter 28, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, comma, Eleazar and Ithamar. You wonder why Nadab and Abihu got separated from, from Eleazar and Ithamar, except that we know they're going to die soon. We could get bogged down in the layers and layers of clothes that they have to wear. I see some of you not really happy that I cranked the AC down right before the sermon and and get yourself a deacon that will do the same thing at the same time. Thank you, Sean. Sometimes I, I think about, and I, some of you have even asked me this question, sometimes I think about wearing my Geneva robe. Sometimes I think about breaking out the robe and actually preaching in the robe. And then I remember how much you don't like it when I crank down the AC. I, the, the layers, the clothing that they've got to wear without air conditioning, without the, the beauties of modern technology, everything that they have to wear, it would be so easy to get bogged down into those details. But I want you to look at chapter 28, verse 9. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. Do you hear that language? Five times the word bear shows up in this passage. Twice Aaron is bearing Israel's names before the Lord. Three times he's bearing judgment or guilt for Israel. In other words, it's the priest's job to represent God's people in the very throne room of heaven. When he goes into the tabernacle, Aaron doesn't just go into the tabernacle. The people go with him. Okay, they don't physically get up and walk in. They wouldn't fit, right? We, the room, the holy of holies, like 
All of y'all, none of y'all are in it. Like it's and and y'all in the back, you're not if you start at that corner, I mean it doesn't come to here. It's not a big space. But that's why he bears their names on his shoulders. When he walks into the tabernacle, they are going with him. They are they are with him in that moment. He represents God's people in the most holy place. Look down at verse 15 of chapter 28. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, and scarlet, and, and purple yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall make it be square and doubled, a span, its length. Four rows, you shall set in it four rows of stones, and, and then the stones are named. And on those stones, verse 21. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. So when he goes into the holy place, six on each shoulder and twelve stones each bearing the name of a tribe on the breastpiece. The shoulders as a, as a, a stone of remembrance before the Lord. The breastpiece bearing their judgment. The judgment that they rightly deserve. You see down in verse... 29 and 30. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and Thummim. We, we haven't even met them yet, right? And they already know what they are. Uh, and they shall be on Aaron's, Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear, there's that word again, the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. The function of the priest is to represent before God His people. And to represent the judgment they deserve in their place. I think the impasse just got solved. I think we just reached an agreement. We've just made an arrangement. And there is no more impasse. Aaron isn't... Exactly. He's not directly the forerunner of the New Testament preacher. He's the forerunner of Jesus. You don't read these chapters and go, oh, so this is what Jeff is. Not remotely. You read this passage and go, that's what Jesus does. That's who Jesus is for me. We're about to sing a song. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. Jesus is your high priest. Jesus bears your name in the very throne room of heaven. Not just the earthly tabernacle. But He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And guess what? You are with Him. Doubt me? Read Ephesians 1 and 2. In Ephesians 1, He's seated in the heavenly places. In Ephesians 2, we're seated with Him in the heavenly places. How? He bears your name. He takes you there. You are spiritually represented in the very throne room of heaven because your high priest is seated there. Christ is our perfect, perpetual high priest. Aaron's going to pass this on to his sons. Aaron's going to, and their son's sons, and the son's son, 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 sons. It's going to get passed down because they're going to die. We don't have that anymore. Jesus has died once for all, rose from the dead, defeated death, and our high priest never has to change again. We don't need to wash anybody else. Christ was washed to serve as the priest in our place. 
We don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. Christ, the priest, was also the sacrifice in our place. He's not limited to an earthly tabernacle. He's not limited. He's, he's, he's not limited to just a model here on earth. Uh, he's in the most holy place in heaven. And you, because you are united to him by faith, he represents you there. If I could steal from another hymn, y'all know I think in music. I don't actually think in movies, right? I know two movies. That's all I got. If it's not, if I don't have a Princess Bride illustration, I, I don't have a movie illustration. You know I think in songs, right? Augustus Toplady um, has a, um, a hymn, 18th century um, uh, hymn writer, um, a hymn that he wrote, um, A Debtor to Mercy Alone. This, by the way, is where Indelible Grace gets their name. Same in music, right? My name from the palms of his hands. Eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart, it remains in marks of indelible grace. Believer, that's your hope. That's your comfort. That's your joy. That's this Old Testament priest who points you to Jesus. And as you read about him in Exodus 28 and 29, read about Aaron and his sons, you're reading about what Christ will do for you, representing you in the Father's presence. The impasse has been solved. We have an acceptable arrangement. How do I know? Read, I intentionally kept this from you. Read the end of chapter 29. Look with me at the last two verses of 29. Verses 45 and 46. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. Reason number one, he brought them out of Egypt. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Reason number two, he brought them out of Egypt. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. With the tabernacle, with the priest, they now have an arrangement that solves the impasse. A holy God, a sinful people dwelling together. How? Because of a perfect sacrifice and a perfect high priest who bears your name in the very throne room of heaven. If you're a believer, if you know Jesus, if you're trusting in him alone for your salvation, that's your reality. You get to come to this table and feast on Christ, recognizing that you're united with him and that that you actually live in two zip codes. You have one here and you have seven, 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 seven. I just made that up. Whatever the zip code is in heaven. If you're not. Then you are still at an impasse. If you don't know Christ, if you're not trusting in him, you are still at an impasse that that needs to be solved. And somebody has to suffer and pay for that debt. Will it be you? Or will you look in faith to Christ and trust in him alone for your salvation? Let's pray together. Our great God and our king, we thank you that you have provided for us. Uh, a high priest 
greater than Aaron, greater than his sons, one who would never fail, uh, never sin, never violate your commandments, uh, never suffer and die and have to give up the office, uh, one who perfectly and, and completely pleads for us before the very throne of heaven. Would you grant us the grace as your people to live in light of that reality? That that's a relationship that nothing on earth can take from us. Would you grant us the grace, the, the faith, the strength to live in both zip codes? We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.